Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The following is a production of the Motor Racing Network, the voice of NASCAR. The Motor Racing Network presents NASCAR Live. Off turn number four, white flag goes in the air. One more trip around Homestead Miami Speedway for Noah Gregson. Challenge change for the number two spot. Ty Gibbs goes to second. Gibbs around the outside of A.J. Allmendinger. That'll drop the dinger back to third, but at the front of the pack, he's all alone by himself. Took him to the woodshed. Sweeping the day, Noah Gregson. Noah Gregson halfway down the back straightaway. Final time this evening at Homestead Miami Speedway. He'll dive it deep into turn number three with a five car length advantage, a six car length advantage over Ty Gibbs. Dominating season continues for Noah Gregson here at the Homestead Miami Speedway. Off four to the strike. Checkered flag is out and Noah Gregson has won for the eighth time this season. NASCAR Live is brought to you by Toyota. For the latest Toyota racing information, visit toyotaracing.com. From the MRN Studios in Concord, North Carolina, here is your host, Mike Bagley. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another edition of NASCAR Live here on the Motor Racing Network. Mike Bagley and the entire MRN crew here with you as we inch our way closer to the beginning of the 2024 NASCAR racing season. Coming up in today's show, we're going to sit down with brand new Trackhouse Racing driver Shane Van Gisbergen. We say brand new. He obviously won the Chicago Street Race a year ago, but it'll be full time to the NASCAR Xfinity Series in 2024. We'll catch up with Shane. We're also going to celebrate the life and career of NASCAR Hall of Famer Kale Yarborough. We lost Kale on New Year's Eve. We're going to take a trip back down memory lane and walk you through Kale Yarborough's legendary career. Noah Gregson is headed to Stuart Haas Racing, and he's headed back to the NASCAR Cup Series in 2024. He'll join us on this week's show. Plus, we'll recap Crew Chief Silly Season. And speaking of Kale Yarborough, we're going to begin our countdown to the Daytona 500 by flashing back to Kale's win in the 1984 rendition of the Great American Race. But first, Kyle Ricky is here with a check of the latest headlines in NASCAR. Kyle? Mike, two NASCAR Cup Series organizations have switched crew chiefs. Matt Swarderski will move atop the pit box of the number 99 for Trackhouse Racing to team up with Daniel Suarez in 2024. Swarderski departs from Colleague Racing, where he served as crew chief for the number 16 Chevrolet each of the past two seasons. Replacing him at Colleague will be Travis Mack, who was Suarez's crew chief since 2021. Mack will have a dual role with the organization, becoming the program's technical director of 
of Cup Series teams. NASCAR veteran Spencer Boyd has formed a Craftsman Truck Series team as he'll compete full-time in 2024. Freedom Racing Enterprises will be a one-team organization with Freedom Warranty as the primary sponsor. Overseeing operations as general manager is former crew chief Jeff Hammond. With GMS Racing closing operations at the close of 2023, Boyd purchased multiple trucks from the team. And longtime ARCA Series driver Tim Steele has passed away at the age of 55. Over the course of his career, the three-time ARCA Menard Series champion claimed 41 checkered flags, good for third all-time. The Motor Racing Network sends its condolences to the family, friends, and fans of Tim Steele. Mike. Thank you, Kyle. Coming up, we'll sit down with one of Trackhouse Racing's newest drivers. Kyle Larson brings his Chevy four tires to no racing fuel. From fueling NASCAR champions on the track for over 20 years to innovating 94 octane, the highest octane on the market. Performance is what Sunoco does. All Sunoco fuel at the pump meets the same top tier standards as the fuel used in NASCAR. Money's back here for Ryan Blaney, four tires with Sunoco fuel. From the track to your tank, you can trust Sunoco to help your vehicle perform at its peak. This is NASCAR Live. Now, back to Mike Bagley. Welcome back to NASCAR Live. Last July, Shane Van Gisbergen made history by winning the inaugural Chicago Street Race. With that win, Shane became the first driver to win in his Cup Series debut in 60 years. On that day, SVG race for Trackhouse Racing's Project 91. Fast forward now to 2024, and Shane Van Gisbergen is now fully a part of Trackhouse Racing, getting set to race full-time in the NASCAR Xfinity Series while also making starts in select NASCAR Cup Series races. He sat down with our Jason Toy to discuss his transition to the life in NASCAR. Joining us now is a guy that is going to be uh, running full-time in the NASCAR Major Series, going to run full-time in the NASCAR Xfinity Series, handful in the Cup, handful in the Truck Series. And, of course, he came on like gangbusters last year when he made his debut in the Cup Series at Chicago. Shane Van Gisbergen making an appearance here with us. Shane, congratulations on uh, not only a huge career that you've had over in Australia and New Zealand, but also, too, in the fact that uh, you got the win last year. You got some seat time in the truck a little bit, too, and now you get to ready to go full-time. How about it? Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. It's um, yeah, been an exciting few months, and i got some big challenges ahead. I don't doubt that. So, But, yeah, really looking forward to it. It's a pretty exciting program for 2024. Looking forward to getting stuck into it. Well, let's talk about the program that you guys have built there with uh, with Trackhouse and the fact that you're going to run full-time in the Xfinity Series in a partnership with Colic. And then, of course, a handful in the Cup, handful in the Truck Series, too. And you guys have signed a full-time sponsor for the year, too, for you and WeatherTech. So congratulations on that. How's the schedule set up for you and getting more introduced to this style of racing? Yeah, well, firstly, it's cool to have WeatherTech on board. I got a cool history with them racing sports cars and, uh, you know, the mid-2010s and stuff. And then, yeah, coming back now, full circle. It's, um, yeah, it's really cool, cool to have them on board, but... It's going to be a full-on year, uh, really full-time in, in Xfinity, um, getting to go to all the tracks for the first time, and hopefully later half of the season I'll be more comfortable and start to push on a bit more for results. But I'm sure there's going to be a lot of challenges early on in the year. I'm going to have some some moments for sure, but um, I just got to take my time, get better, learn something every week, and just try to try to keep 
keep getting better and not make the same mistake twice. I was going to say that the, the big thing too, with the nice thing with the Xfinity series, you're going to be able be able to get tested out on every single type of racetrack that there is on the circuit and road courses, short track, intermediate, super speedways, all that. You know, I wonder how important it was for you last year after the big win in the Cup Series on the road course to jump behind the wheel of the truck there at a short track like like IRP to get some experience that way. How much has that kind of got you a little bit more hungry for this year? Yeah, it was just cool to get that experience and a taste of what it's what it's like and make sure I enjoyed it. And it was very, very tough, like only getting 15 minutes of practice and then straight into qualifying, no time to sort of digest it. And then in the race, really, I just sort of stayed out of trouble and tried not to get involved in everything. I wanted to do as, do as many laps as I could and, you know, run some good laps and get in some good races and get used to a spotter and stuff like that. Like I've never had a spotter before, so... Yeah, everything is different, and um, but I, ha- I had fun, like being three ro- three wide with people, whether I was in the middle or inside or top, it was, uh, it was crazy different to what I'm used to. So yeah, um, the first race is going to be a shock, like Daytona is so far removed from anything I've ever done. So uh, I don't really know what to expect or, or how to approach it, but I'm sure I'll get some good advice from people and yeah, just try and settle in and get through it. Shane Van Gisbergen is here with us talking about his uh, his run in 2024. And what do you do to prepare now for those races? Do you you maybe try to run a sports car race at Daytona just to get a little familiar with some parts of the track? Or is it going to be a lot of sim time for you between now and when you lace them up mid-February? No, it'll, ju- it'll just be sim time. I, I elected not to do the the 24-hour, the Rolex. I thought it'd be better to, to focus on the challenges I got ahead. So it'll be a lot of simulator time and then... You know, watching a lot of tape and, you know, SMT stuff, just just trying to review what it's like and trying to understand, I guess, what I'm in for those first few weeks because uh, mid-February is going to roll around pretty quickly and then once it starts, um, I'm racing every week and it'll go by just like that. So, yeah, i got to do as much prep as I can the next couple of months. Shane, I've been curious on this. Uh, you're a three-time champion in the in the Supercar Series and you were going for the fourth one this year and that last race didn't end up the way you hoped it would. How hard is it, A, to leave where you've had over 500 starts on one continent to come here to build a whole brand new life? And logistically, how hard has it been to get, you know, you, your lady, your dog, everybody over here? Yeah, yeah it's been been a major and a lot still in, still in process, you know, to get the visa and social social security number and bank account and start from scratch with all that stuff. It's um, It's been a lot of a process and still to work a lot of it out but um yeah moving over here trying to find a place and trying to find a house with a fence all the houses don't have fences so i gotta try to find a house with a fence for my dog so he doesn't run away and yeah it's pretty um it's been pretty different you know the way things work over here a lot of it's really good but a lot of it's just different and i have to adjust and and get used to it you know even simple stuff like driving down the road you know driving down the wrong side of the road and i keep I was gonna say how hard is that going to be for you? <laughs> well, I keep walking to the car and getting trying to get in on the wrong side. And as long as I as long as I got that figured out by the time I get in the race car, I'll be fine. <laughs> Shane, congratulations! We're looking forward. You're going to be a great personality, I know, in, in all of NASCAR's three major series. It's going to be fun to to follow your progress this year. And congratulations to you and Trackhouse and with WeatherTech coming on board. It's going to be a fun year for you. Welcome to the United States officially, coming becoming a resident here, basically dual dual uh, citizenship deal. But we're looking forward to having some fun with you this year. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Thank you, Jason. Coming up, we'll remember a NASCAR legend.
The NASCAR season is here, and Toyota Racing is looking for clashers. Did you clash at the Coliseum with your favorite Toyota drivers? Clashing with the HOA, who won't let you carve bell number 20 into your lawn. Or maybe your Tyler Reddick shirt clashed with your pants while meeting the in-laws. If you're a clasher, then we want you. Be part of the action at toyota.com slash racing. Toyota, let's go places. NASCAR is a registered trademark of National Association for Stock Car Auto Racing, Inc. This is NASCAR Live. Now, back to Mike Bagley. Welcome back to NASCAR Live. On New Year's Eve, the NASCAR world lost one of the greats. Cale Yarbrough passed away at the age of 84. The 2012 NASCAR Hall of Fame inductee left a lasting legacy on the sport. And our Susie Armstrong is here right now to help us pay tribute to his life and racing career. On December 31st, 2023, NASCAR lost a legend. Cale Yarborough, a three-time NASCAR Cup Series champion, NASCAR Hall of Famer, and one of NASCAR's 75 greatest drivers, died at the age of 84. Born William Caleb Yarborough on March 27, 1939, Yarborough grew up the oldest of three boys in Florence County, South Carolina. By the time Yarborough entered college, he was at a crossroads, having received a football scholarship to Clemson University under legendary coach Frank Howard, Yarborough spent time during the summers moonlighting as a racer at local tracks closer to home. When Yarborough expressed his love for racing to Howard, Howard offered an ultimatum. Either he played football or he continued racing. Yarborough chose racing, paving the way for one of the best the sport will ever see. One cannot detail the racing legacy of Cale Yarborough without highlighting his success in two of NASCAR's crown jewel events, the Daytona 500 and the Southern 500. Only the king, Richard Petty, holds more Daytona 500 championships than Yarborough, who hoisted the Harley J. Earl Trophy four times during his Hall of Fame career. Yarborough's first Daytona 500 victory came in 1968, racing for the Wood Brothers. Yarborough would go on to win the 500 three more times, including the 1977 Great American Race, running away from Benny Parsons in the final laps. White flag is being displayed by the starter, Harold Kinder. There is one lap to go. Yarborough in front, Parsons in second, down into turn number one. Well, here they come on this final lap. It's Yarborough out front as Benny Parsons still maintains just about the same separation about 12 car lengths back and it doesn't look like Kale's going to even give him a chance to ride that draft to work his way up they're out of the number two corner Yarborough still 12 car lengths in front as they go down the back stretch heading for the home and checkered flag well Yarborough seems to have wrapped it up just the way he wants to and he's keeping that distance consistent right down into the turn again and Parsons still trying to catch him on the sides both feet buried into the firewall the Holly Farm Chevrolet into turn number four for the final time this afternoon Gail Yarbrough in front, he has a strong advantage as he heads to UKEN. Down to the line, Junior Johnson prepared car. Junior, the winner in 1960, has seen Cale Yarbrough carry his colors to victory. The Holly Farm Chevrolet has won the Daytona 500. Two years later, Yarborough would be a part of one of NASCAR's seminal moments. Following the conclusion of the 1979 Daytona 500, Yarborough and Donnie Allis had duked it out in the infield after an intense battle for the lead ended with both drivers wrecked. 
a moment that was captured by a national television audience for the first time in NASCAR history. Jackie, over in turn three, we interrupt for a moment. Kale and Donnie, both out of the cars. Bobby Allison has brought his car down there. A furious discussion taking place just down below the banks of turn number three. And now it appears we may have a fist fight. We see drivers and helmets, safety officials trying to jump in there and separate them as tempers have really flared after this amazing incident on the final lap coming into turn number three. They They battle on the ground at this time, and we can't see as others come running in to surround and try to separate those drivers. Yarborough would collect his final two Daytona 500 championships in 1983 and 1984. Yarborough is forever linked to historic Darlington Raceway, where the Timminsville, South Carolina native has a garage dedicated in his name. Yarborough first caught the eye of Darlington track president and general manager Bob Colvin at a soapbox derby race. Colvin encouraged Yarborough to make his Cup Series debut in the 1957 Southern 500 as a teenager. Yarborough would finish 42nd in the 50 car field. Later, it would be discovered by NASCAR officials that Yarborough didn't meet the minimum age requirement of 20 years old, as Yarborough lied about his age, telling the race organizers that he was 21. Yarborough's legacy at Darlington wouldn't end there. Yarborough is second in all-time wins in the Southern 500 with five, only behind Jeff Gordon's six. Yarborough's first victory in the Southern 500 came in 1968, as he paced the way with 169 circuits led. Five years later, Yarborough would add a second to his tally. Then in 1974, Yarborough would make it back-to-back as he became a three-time Southern 500 winner. Dale Yarborough going up that back straightaway, going into that third and fourth turn. This is that last lap around, and if he can just get it on through that third and fourth turn and away, it'll be a back-to-back victory for him. Charlie Bailey, he's coming out of that fourth turn. Here he comes, and he's really standing on a two down the straightaway, and the checkered flag is out. Dale Yarborough wins the second Southern 500, the 25th anniversary of the Southern Five here in Darlington. Around the will go, back to the victory circle, and back to the eye in the sky. Dale Yarborough, who is from Timmonsville, South Carolina, as a boy during this course of 25 years, uh, said that he sort of uh, snooked around the fences and come in here watching this uh, racetrack. He always wanted to win here. He joins a very elite group of two other drivers who have three victories in the Southern 500. He has back-to-back victories. Southern 500 win number four came in 1978. Then in 1982, in one of the most competitive Southern 500s in history, where the lead changed 41 times among 17 drivers, Yarborough edged by Richard Petty, Dale Earnhardt, and Bill Elliott to rewrite the history books. This time around, they'll be getting the white flag as Cale Yarborough comes off of number four. He'll look at the white flag. Richard Petty starts to make any kind of move. He's got to do it now, but Cale Yarborough jumps out to about a four-car length advantage into turn one where he maintains that four-car interval in turn number one. He has the middle groove. Petty appears to be smoking. He is. He erupted a little smoke over in four, a little more coming off of two. And Kale now is pulling away to a substantial separation. Meanwhile, riding third still, Dale Earnhardt in fourth will be Bill Elliott. They're in three for the last time. Coming around turn four, Kale Yarborough rewrites the record books at Darlington. The fans are awaiting. He's coming down the front stretch. He gets the checkered flag, and Kale Yarborough wins the 33rd edition of the Southern 500 at Darlington. Several of NASCAR's all-time greats have had their runs of dominance to put their mark on the sport, but none quite like Yarborough during his heyday. Starting in 1976, Yarborough embarked upon a three-year reign atop the sport. 
During his three-year dominance, Yarborough won 28 races, nine in 1976, nine in 77, and 10 in 1978. His final championship points margin in each of those three seasons was never fewer than 195 points. Yarborough's string of three consecutive championships was unprecedented and unmatched. In fact, not until 2008, when Jimmy Johnson was crowned champion for the third straight year, was Yarborough's achievement equaled. In total, Yarborough collected 83 victories during his 31-year career, ranking fifth all-time. His 69 poles also rank third all-time. Yarborough's achievements in NASCAR led him to be inducted into the NASCAR Hall of Fame in 2012. Yarborough is survived by his wife, Betty Jo, and his daughters, Julie, Kelly, and BJ. Everyone here at the Motor Racing Network offer our condolences and will never forget the life and legacy Cale Yarborough leaves behind. Outdoor care to home and auto repair. Do it with Craftsman. Find the tools, equipment, and storage you need at your local Lowe's, Ace Hardware, or Craftsman.com. This is NASCAR Live. Now, back to Mike Bagley. Welcome back to NASCAR Live. 2023 was a year of learning for Noah Gregson as the former Legacy Motor Club driver was sidelined by NASCAR and Legacy for an insensitive social media post ending his first full-time season on the NASCAR Cup Series. Noah has since been reinstated by NASCAR, and Noah's going to get a second chance at the cup level racing in the number 10 Ford Mustangs for Stuart Haas Racing in this upcoming racing season. He sat down with our Chris Wilner. Well, Noah Gregson, new year, new opportunities. We kicks off kickstart 2024. Um, obviously, I'm sure you were paying attention through the back half of last year, all the different silly season moves and seemed like all these dominoes had to fall into place. And one of the big ones was that 10 car once Eric Almirola announced he was going to step aside full time. So I guess take us back to how long were these talks with SHR in the works before uh, you know we kind of knew about it and, and kind of put the pieces together? Uh, it definitely was, uh, you know, for, first off, uh, kind of a, uh, a blurry four or five months um, as far as timeline goes, just because, um, you know, we were working so hard and doing a lot of things, um, you know, outside of the track that were are really good for me. So my timeline, a little bit of a blur on uh, how everything went in my months and we sprinkled in some racing in there and then, uh, you know, just doing all my all my work uh, away from the track. So with that being said, it, it probably was about a month or two before you guys had heard about anything publicly um, or officially, I should say. Let me say officially. Uh, <laughs> but with that being said, it, uh, you know, felt like Stuart Haas Racing, you know, they're a group of racers and, and people, um, men and women that, that really want to to race and they want to win races and um you know speaking with with tony and and greg zipidelli and gene everybody involved over there i felt like it was you know a right fit for me um i'm fortunate for the opportunity very grateful and excited to see what we can do because the past month of being there um, since this deal has been announced it's been 
a really good environment for me and uh, I'm I really enjoying what Stewart House has to offer. You mentioned it. Let's go back to the last couple of months. What was a priority for you in terms of your away from the racetrack things to kind of uh, gain a new perspective and focus on yourself before, you know, coming back? So what were some of the things that you were that you wanted to work on personally and, and were kind of going through over the last couple of months? I think just maturing, growing up, uh, learning more about others, learning more about myself and just becoming a better person throughout the whole process. And, and that's what you know, going through my situation and, and it's allowed me to really become open minded and, and, and open my eyes to, you know, everybody goes through their own challenges. And, and I was very selfish and, and very focused on myself. And and I think with this whole opportunity of, of getting the opportunity to learn about others, it's allowed me, you know, more eye opening um, throughout the day, no matter what the task is, whether it be in the race car, or out of the race car. Um, I feel like I'm a lot more present in life. Um, I was a little worn out after last year and through the season on track stuff. But with that being said, it's it's been uh, you know one of the best learning opportunities that I've ever had in my entire life, if not the best. And uh, you know, there's a lot of people that have been there um, along the way that have helped me um, through this journey, and I'm uh, I'm just grateful to be able to to have this eye-opening experience. So while you're going through all this, obviously you're kind of taking in the Cup Series from afar. What were your overall thoughts of maybe the postseason last year, how things played out? Obviously the championship, you know, we got a, another good one out there at Phoenix. But was it difficult for you to kind of take that in from a different perspective at the end of last year? Yeah, I mean, it sucks watching somebody else do your job, right? And it's not fun, I don't think, for anybody involved uh, for the on-track stuff. And, and, you know, I put Legacy Motor Club in, into a position and, and they had to make a, a decision. And, and I respect them, but at the same time, it's, it's not it's not enjoyable watching someone else do your job. But at the same time, I knew that there are bigger hurdles and, and, and challenges that I needed to overcome personally that I put my sole focus and attention on that. and really, really took it by the horns. I, I really wanted to uh, make the most of the opportunity. And uh, and I feel like with the with the people in NASCAR, the people involved um, at, at Rise, it, uh, I've learned so much um, over the last four or five months, probably more in the last four or five months about myself and about others than I probably have my whole life. So you got to do some racing too as well. I know you alluded to it, running the late model. I know you're down at the Snowball Derby. Was that refreshing for you to kind of go back and uh, to kind of where, you know, your roots kind of started and, and get those opportunities to kind of stay fresh behind the wheel? Yeah, it, it allowed me to run some uh, local grassroots racing, Snowball Derby, uh, Winchester 400. We went and did uh, the Glass City 200, I believe it's called, up in Toledo. Uh, ran, ran multiple races, also... Uh, Went up with uh, the Red Jones racing team and did the Pinties race up in, in Delaware, Canada. Ran a couple of the late model races up there. So it uh, it was fun. It was great to, to see fans at the racetrack, see people, talk to people, you know, at the racetrack in the environment that I miss so much. So with that being said, it's definitely, uh, definitely good to get back. I thought we were going to be close at the Snowball Derby. <laughs> I missed a shift, wadded up the field, unfortunately. Um, that was on me. But we had a, a car that was probably in position to win the race. Um, we were about a third, fourth place car all race. I don't know if we had a car to win, but we were in a position that we would have uh, had a shot. So um, I was 
very grateful for Terry Jones, Mark Rat, and everyone at Red Jones Racing. It was a lot of fun. It was fun to watch for sure, uh, all the way through the very end. But now that you know you're kind of fully in, involved now at SHR, I mean, we've seen the videos on social media. You were doing everything from cleaning the floors and the shop to painting and doing touch-up work. I mean, how much fun has this been? Just to getting to know this, you know, this team, this organization, and of course the ten guys as you get set to go for next year. Yeah, it's a, they're they're a good group. I think it's just myself and and spotter is the only thing that's going to change for next year so uh they're a plugged in group they're a fierce competitive group they work hard but they also enjoy their time together and they're they're a tight team and and one thing that i heard i was watching that whatever it was the rose bowl and the uh harbaugh or however you say his name the coach from michigan was saying uh the reason we won today was because of togetherness we, we were more together than you know, the other guys, and, and that's what we got. And that's what uh, I think we got this year is we're already jumping off uh, on the right foot with these guys. They're already a tight group. I feel like I'm plugging in right with them. And uh, we're all just enjoying our time together. We're working hard and, and we're together as a team. SHR's culture, I know going into this year, a lot of the words and like relentlessness and driven by passion. And we're just a bunch of racers. When you look at yourself and the rest of your teammates and kind of the vision for the team going into this year, how do you fit in amongst all that, you know, badass and driven by passion and some of those words that they like to use? I think the culture at SHR is right for me with the, you know, words like relentlessness and, and you know, passion, fire and, and driven to win bunch of group of racers for me it's it's about passion and, and and being fiery and aggressive with that being said I, I might have maybe lost a little bit of love for the sport over the my cup career just because it's been so challenging but I've also learned over the last four or five months how to how to regain that love and appreciation and when you get caught up in the grind of things and you know, working you know, a seven-day-a-week deal that we're doing during race season. And um, my passion and my aggression, every single lap on the racetrack, every minute outside the car, I love this stuff. And um, I think you see my aggression, my fiery personality, but I also enjoy it as well. And with what Stuart Haas is, I think I fit that mold. Finally, we're just about a month away from the clash. Of course, next month's Daytona 500 to kick off the 2024 season. Never too early to talk about expectations. I know SHR as a whole has a lot of expectations after what you know was a disappointing 2023 season. What are some of your personal expectations for you and this 10 team uh, working with Drew Blickensterf and of course your new spotter, Andy Houston, going in this year? For myself personally, I wanna be the best leader for our team. And I wanna be the best leader day in and day out Every race weekend, you know, show up ready to go and be the best version of myself. I don't have too many expectations about, you know, how the season's gonna go because this is a constant grind and we see ups and downs. And I know the ups are, are fun. I hope we have those, but it's it's about how you react during the lows, right? And you know, becoming the best version of yourself during those times. That, that's where your true character and your, your true self comes out is during the challenging times, adversity when maybe we're not having a good day or something happens, how do we react to that? And for myself, I want to be the best leader for our team. And I know we have the, the guys capable of uh, succeeding need to, um, and, and become the best team in the garage. It's obviously 
a lot easier said than done, right? But working on myself is probably my main priority and being the best version I can and the best piece of the puzzle for my guys. Thank you, Chris. Coming up, the countdown to Daytona is on. We'll highlight a seminal moment for one of the sport's all-time greats. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. This is NASCAR Live. Now, back to Mike Bagley. Welcome back to NASCAR Live. The countdown clock is ticking as we are only 40 days away from the 66th running of the Great American Race. And we all know that as the Daytona 500. As we prepare for Speed Weeks in Daytona, each week we'll relive some of the greatest moments in Daytona 500 history. This week, let's keep our celebration of the life and legacy of NASCAR Hall of Famer Cale Yarborough. We start our countdown by flashing back to the 1984 Daytona 500. Hello, everyone. Today, it's the main event for Speed Weeks 1984, the richest stock car race in the world, and without a doubt, the most prestigious spectacle in motor racing, the Daytona 500. As the NASCAR Cup Series ready to begin its 1984 campaign, all eyes were on Daytona Beach, Florida for the 26th running of the Great American Race. During Speed Weeks, plenty of storylines developed, making this one of the most anticipated 500s ever. Chief among those storylines was Cale Yarbrough once again emerging as the favorite to win the big race. Yarbrough won the race in 1983, and as defending champion, he cemented himself even further as the favorite by winning the pole, recording a staggering time of 44.588 seconds around the 2.5-mile super speedway. Yarbrough backed that up by winning his dual race on the Thursday before the 500. An interesting chief rival emerged, though, in Bobby Allison. Allison was the winner of the second duel and entered 1984 as the defending series champion. After the President of the United States, Ronald Reagan, gave the command to start engines, the defending Daytona 500 winner and the defending series champion were among the drivers who led the field to the green flag. All right, I've heard the traditional phrase many times. They are down into the dogleg part of the Daytona Speedway and making that left-hand turn onto pit road. Here's the Pontiac pace car. And at about 100 miles an hour, they come down. Mr. Howard waves the green, and the Daytona 500 is underway, the 26th annual. Cale Yarborough gets a good jump on the start as he heads for turn number one and pulls away a bit. Those who predicted the race would be a battle between Yarborough and Allison looked very smart in the early stages of the event as the two future Hall of Famers swapped the lead back and forth an amazing 11 times in just the first 37 laps. Allison makes a bit for the lead. Bobby Allison set him up and swept underneath. It's Allison at the point. Yarborough second. Buddy Baker is third. Down the back straightaway, jumping out like a jack-in-the-box to the inside is Cale Yarborough. He wants the lead again. He pulls side-by-side side with Bobby Allison. Yarborough and Allison have playing leapfrog up front for about five laps now. And once again, it's Cale going to the point. Allison goes second. Baker third with Bonnet fourth. Labonte's fifth. And Harry the first two leaders not named Yarbrough and Allison turned out to be two of the most successful drivers in the history of the sport. 
Dale Earnhardt and Richard Petty both took turns at the point as the race neared the 100-mile mark. By that point in the race, six drivers had already exited the event due to mechanical failures. But as the race progressed, even more drivers and more big names fell victim to similar issues. Allison's early run at contention was over after just 61 laps, and Petty's run at another Harley Jarrell Trophy lasted only 92 laps as both drivers were derailed due to camshaft problems. Bobby Allison is on pit road, the 1983 Winston Cup champion, and Jerry Punch, the hood is up on that car, and that is not a good sign. Richard Petty has slowed up dramatically. The car is coasting up on the high bank. The entire field comes streaming by. Yarborough has grabbed the lead. Earnhardt second. Petty in trouble. Petty looking for a way to move to the inside of the racetrack as all the other cars dip inside of him. Now back up high. Petty down on the apron. Looks like he's heading for pit road. Shortly after Petty's problems, another big name fell out of the race, this time due to a crash. We've got trouble up in turn number two as spinning down low on the racetrack goes Rusty Wallace. No harm done as Rusty gets the car off onto the grass. This is just about 50 feet from where Rusty took off on one of the wildest rides in stock car history last year in the 125 qualifier. It's a new ride for Rusty. He's in good shape. The engine is off and he's unbuckling. It will bring out the fourth caution flag of the afternoon here at Daytona in the 500 as Rusty Wallace spins his car just going off the number two corner. That Rusty Wallace accident in turn two meant the race would cross the halfway mark under the caution flag. The leader at the halfway mark was Earnhardt, who with Allison's exit had emerged as Yarbrough's biggest obstacle in becoming a back-to-back winner of the Great American Race. Earnhardt wasn't the only name to insert himself into the conversation, though, in the back half of the event. Outside pole sitter Terry Labonte led his first circuit on lap 106, and Daryl Waltrip led for the first time on lap 142. There's a rumble in the jungle. Nine cars on the front lead spots. Now dropping out of line, it is Terry Labonte. He wants a piece of the top spot. He's got some pushing help from Earnhardt. They're three wide in turn three. Labonte looks to the inside of your leader, Bonnet, and all of a sudden it's Terry Labonte putting the 44 up front. The Piedmont Airlines plane flying away here with Earnhardt behind him. Your leader right now is Waltrip. He's got Labonte right on his tail. Ricky Rudge efforts of getting his lap back for Nod as he pedals backwards through the field. The coming off number four corner, kick up the speedy try, and it's two cars beginning to pull away right now. Waltrip's first stint at the front was very short-lived as it was just one lap later Yarbrough got back out in front. Waltrip, though, found his way back to the point during what many expected to be the final pit stop cycle of the race. With Waltrip out front, drivers had one final shot to come down pit road when what would be the final caution flag flew with less than 25 laps to go. We're under caution at Daytona as Buddy Arrington has just lost the engine on his Chrysler coming across the start-finish line, and it will put us under caution for the seventh time this afternoon. And Benny Parsons, this is going to be a break for a lot of drivers. During that caution period caused by Buddy Arrington's engine expiring, some drivers did come to pit road. But Waltrip, Yarbrough, Earnhardt, and Labonte all stayed on the track to preserve the track position that they hoped would help them win the 1984 Daytona 500. Those four, with a few others mixed in, got the green flag for the final restart of the event on lap 183. We are back to green at Daytona to conclude the 500 this afternoon. Harold Kinder waves the flag and Darrell Waltrip sails off into turn number one. Waltrip held the lead for nearly all of that final run, but coming to the white flag, he still had Earnhardt and Yarbrough breathing down his neck. Harold Kinder displays the white flag and it is the last time around. Less than two and a half miles to go. They're shuffling off to turn one single file. Well, now you know the move is going to come. The question is where, when, and by whom. Walter put two car lengths on Yarborough. Yarborough takes to the top of the racetrack. 
now. Life's down into the draft, right behind. He's opened up a car link on Dale Earnhardt. They're on the backstretch. After waging war for 499 miles, it comes down to this. Down the back straightaway. Three quarters of the way down this 3,000-foot back shoot. Yarbrough to the inside. Dale Yarbrough goes low on Dale Waltrip and takes over the lead. Waltrip slides up. Nobody else. It's Elliott getting past Gant, moving into fifth. A little squirrely, but he hangs on. And Yarbrough pulling away. Here comes the charge from turn four. Can anybody do anything? Kale is gone. He'll win the Daytona 500, but the battle is for second right now as Earnhardt squeezes past Darrell Waltrip and will finish in the number two spot. Waltrip will finish third. From their back, they are stacked three wide as they cross the stripe. Cale Yarborough wins the 26th annual Daytona 500 in a hair-raising finish and one of the best races we have ever seen at Daytona. It is all over. Yarborough will go to victory lane. It will be his fourth Daytona 500 win. So for the second straight year, Cale Yarborough won Stock Car Racing's biggest event with a thrilling last lap pass. Not only was it Yarborough's second straight win in the Daytona 500, but his fourth overall. Cale, tell us about the last lap. What kind of strategy you might have and did things go as you had wanted them to early on with that white flag? Well, you know, I was a little concerned about what I was going to do after that caution flag. Uh, I thought I could get away from them, but if I was sitting there in second and I knew if if Daryl would stay right at it, that I'd have a pretty good shot at it from second. So I just sat there and uh, Daryl was awful strong down the straightaways. I had my doubts about what what I could do with him, but, uh, you know, I, I still figured that was the best place to be and it worked. That marked the end of one of the most dominant speed weeks ever, as Yarbrough had won the pole, won his qualifying race, led the most laps, and captured the Harley J. Earl Trophy. It goes without saying that Kel Yarbrough will forever go down as one of the greatest to ever take to the high banks at the world center of racing. Coming up, we'll go inside the crew chief changes made during silly season. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. This is NASCAR Live. Now back to Mike Bagley. Welcome back to NASCAR Live. Every silly season, the focus is on which drivers will make moves to different race teams or jump to another series. Lost in all that chaos are all the moves made atop the pit box. Let's take a moment to identify some of the key crew chief moves made during silly season. Susie Armstrong is back to take us through them. While NASCAR's silly season is primarily focused on driver movement, Crew chief swaps also steal headlines every offseason, and that dynamic is no different heading into 2024. The highest profile move involving two NASCAR Cup Series teams basically swapping crew chiefs was just announced this week. Daniel Suarez wins the Ford EcoBoost 300 and he wins the 2016 NASCAR Xfinity Series Championship. In one of the more surprising crew chief changes in recent memory, the partnership between Daniel Suarez and Travis Mack is over after three years. Those three years included Mack leading Suarez to his first career Cup Series victory at Sonoma in 2022. Mack will move to colleague racing, where he will serve as the team's technical director, as well as crew chief for their 16 team. Speaking of that 16 team, that is exactly where the new shot caller for Suarez will come from. Matt Swiderski will look to lead Suarez back to the playoffs in what is a contract year for the former Xfinity Series champion. 
Swiderski has two cup wins as crew chief, both with A.J. Allmendinger. Another big move this year happens to involve one of the best driver-crew chief duos from the NASCAR Xfinity Series, who are making the jump to cup together. John Hunter Nemechek has picked up his sixth win of the season, scoring the win in the Kansas Lottery 300. When John Hunter Nemechek returns to the NASCAR Cup Series in 2024, driving the number 42 Toyota for Legacy Motor Club, he'll have a familiar face atop the pit box. Ben Bayshore and Nemechek won a series-best seven Xfinity races together in 2023 and reached the championship four. Legacy Motor Club now hopes for similar results on the Cup side in 2024. It will also be a return to the Cup Series for Bayshore, who previously served as Kyle Busch's crew chief in the 2021 and 22 seasons, reaching victory lane three times. Bayshore won't be the only new crew chief at Legacy MC in 2024, as their owner and part-time driver will also have a new leader on pit road. Jimmy Johnson comes down to the line. He'll score his third win at Kansas Speedway, his third win of the 2015 season. After Jimmy Johnson is inducted into the NASCAR Hall of Fame later this month, the seven-time cup champ will don his helmet on a limited basis in 2024, driving the number 84 car in at least three races at Kansas, Texas, and Charlotte for the Coca-Cola 600 in May. Johnson's crew chief will be one of the most successful atop an Xfinity Series pit box in the last decade, Jason Burdett. Stepping in to replace Todd Gordon, Burdett moves over from Junior Motorsports, where he most recently served as Brandon Jones' crew chief. But he is most well-known for working with Justin Allgaier. The duo won 16 races together from 2016 to 2022. Now Burdett gets a chance to return to the Cup Series for the first time since 2007. With new names coming into Legacy Motor Club, some of their 2023 crew chiefs were able to pursue other opportunities. And one of those crew chiefs found a chance to work with a promising rookie. Off four, final time. Checkered flag is in the air and Carson Hulsevar has won for the third time in the NASCAR Craftsman Truck Series. As Carson Hulsevar makes the big jump from the NASCAR Craftsman Truck Series to Cup with Spire Motorsports, the young rookie will have an experienced crew chief helping him make the transition. Luke Lambert will sit at Top the number 77 pit box after spending last season working for Legacy Motor Club on the number 42. Hosevar and Lambert already have a rapport, working together when Hosevar filled in as driver of the 42 after Noah Gregson and the team parted ways. Hosevar will also have a rookie teammate at Spire in 24 who has a new crew chief of his own. Checkered flag in the air and Zane Smith wins the Lucas Oil 150 and Zane Smith is the 2022 NASCAR Camping World Truck Series champion. 2022 Truck Series champion Zane Smith will be that rookie teammate. And while Smith's contract is with Trackhouse Racing, the team is leasing him out to Spire to drive their 71 car in 2024. The entry is an entirely new team, forcing Spire to find a brand new crew chief. To fill the position, Spire chose Cup Series rookie Stephen Duran, who gets his first chance to call the shots in NASCAR's premier division. Duran has a stellar pedigree, working under Roddy Childers as part of Kevin Harvick's number four team at Stuart Haas Racing since 2012. Which of these new driver-crew chief pairings will be the most successful? Only time will tell. 
but we will start to learn those answers when cup cars get back on track next month. Thank you, Susie. Coming up, we'll go back to Shane Van Gisbergen's glorious afternoon in the streets of Chicago. This is NASCAR Live. Now, back to Mike Bagley. We're about to head for the exits on this week's NASCAR Live. For this week's flashback, we thought we'd relive Shane Van Gisbergen's historic win at the Chicago Street Race. Five, six car lengths, the advantage for Shane Van Gisbergen. Van Gisbergen one more time out onto Michigan Avenue in downtown Chicago, Illinois. That is turn seven. He's through it, and he's through it cleanly. Now the right-hand run through turn number eight. The left-hand turn nine. The right-hand turn ten. He's all alone and headed to turn number 11. Underbreaking setting up for turn number 11. The fans in the massive grandstands waving their way to give him the encouragement he needs. He's clean off 11. Up the hill. Headed for turn number 12. He'll stand on the brakes. Downshift. Here's the car. Sets it cleanly. Checkered flag in the air. In his first ever NASCAR Cup Series start, Shane Van Gisbergen, the New Zealand driver, wins on the streets of Chicago. What a day it was for Shane Van Gisbergen and track house racing. Folks, that's all the time we have for you for today. We'd like to thank SVG for joining us on the show. Also, our thanks to Noah Gregson for stopping by. I'm Mike Bagley for the rest of the MRN crew. We thank you for joining us as well. We'll catch up with you next week on NASCAR Live, right here on the Motor Racing Network. Until then, so long, everybody. NASCAR Live is a production of the Motor Racing Network with studios in Concord, North Carolina, and was brought to you by Toyota. For the latest Toyota racing information, visit toyotaracing.com. Today's broadcast was produced by Trey Downey, Pat Jaggers, and Julian Council. The executive producer for MRN is Ryan Horn. Remember to visit MRN.com for all of the latest news and information. NASCAR Live is produced under an exclusive license with NASCAR. Any use of the accounts and descriptions contained in this broadcast must be with the express written permission of NASCAR and the Motor Racing Network.